All right, well, this is the third week that we'll be looking at Genesis 24, and I think we will even have a fourth week after this, just in this one chapter of Scripture. And things are kind of taking a sharp turn right now. We have spent two weeks looking at the big picture, and we are about to get kind of down to the stuff of everyday life. If you were here the last two weeks, you can remember how this marriage between Isaac and Rebekah, which one of the longest stories in the Bible builds up to, shows us how God fulfills his promises and will bring many descendants for Abraham, and one of those descendants is going to be Jesus Christ, who changes and alters the course of human history. So there's so much grand stuff in the story of humanity that is going on in this story. And then, in the very last verse, it takes this very human and very touching turn that we're going to dwell on today and kind of marvel at. The story so far, if you weren't here then, is that God has introduced these two characters, Isaac and Rebekah. They are both people of great faith. So Isaac is introduced a few chapters earlier. He obediently follows his father up the mountain. Here's God will provide a lamb, and he trusts his dad and doesn't even put up a fight. His dad kind of binds him to put him on the altar. All this great faith that God will provide shown in this son's obedience, we know now of Isaac as a man of faith. Rebecca, very similarly, displays her faith by hearing the promises of God, like Abraham, being called to leave her family like Abraham, and then saying along with Abraham, I will go. So we know this is a woman who trusts God's promises. So here's a man who really trusts God and his promises, a woman who really trusts God and his promises. And what God has been doing for this whole long chapter is working miraculously to bring Rebecca to Isaac. So much that we see, it's really God that's doing this. It's really God that's bringing her to him. We also know already at this point, because of chapter 23, that Isaac's mother, Sarah, has died. And his father, Abraham, has been mourning the death of Sarah. But he rose up then and buried her, and he seems to have some closure. But we never really read of any closure in in Isaac's mourning. So we wonder, how's he doing? Is he sad about his mother's death? All these factors come together in this last moment. A young man who's sad over his mother's death, a young man who's faithful, a young woman who is faithful, and God bringing them together in marriage. So here we have then the peak, the ending of Genesis 24, here in verse 67. Here are the words of God. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. The words of the Lord. In that vivid and touching picture, it's kind of rare in this part of Scripture, uh, the Lord gives to us insight into his design for marriage and his wisdom in his design for marriage. And also insight into his love for the church. And so my prayer for us, as you just heard me pray a few moments ago, is that we would walk out this morning with a grand view of God's plan for marriage and God's design for it, that we would see his wisdom, how good and kind he is to us, and just walk out in worship of him. And then even more than that, that we would get a picture of just how dearly our Lord loves his church. How much does Jesus love his church? I hope we see a little more an answer to that question as we walk out this 
morning. That is something that if we could embrace it, could do much for us here in the room. It could enrich every marriage in the room. For every single person, it can help us to live in purity before God. And one thing I really pray happens, I know there may be a few of you here this morning who would not say that you're believers in Jesus Christ. You wouldn't say you've turned from sin and you trust in him for forgiveness of your sin. And what I pray it does for you is is simply give you a great picture of how good his ways are. Uh, That you might see what we're talking about here and say, you know what, that design for marriage, that design for sex, that's better than the way that I live my life. See how good his ways are. And the reason for that is that part of turning from sin to trust Jesus for forgiveness and faith is seeing that his way was better the whole time, right? You can't turn from anything until you see that what he has is better than what you have. And so if you're here today as one who is not a believer in him, I pray he shows you that, how very good his ways are, and that might play a meaningful part in your turning to him for forgiveness. The picture is, uh, is really a simple and beautiful picture. Isaac receives Rebecca as a wife, and he's delighted and comforted to have her as a wife. And we see a whole lot there. Uh, as we kind of look into it here, uh, we see first Isaac takes Rebecca into the tent of his mother, Sarah. There is some disagreement about just what that means and just what happens in the tent there. Uh, maybe because that's first, and it mentions the marriage second, uh, and maybe because he takes her into Sarah's tent and not his own tent, maybe he puts her there in his mother's tent and maybe he stays in his tent until they can do the marriage and have the big feast and then they begin to share a tent. Maybe that's what's happening. Or maybe because these lists like this and stories are often not chronological or not intended to be chronological, they're there for emphasis. And uh, maybe because many other characters in Genesis do consummate their marriages in a tent, maybe it's kind of all one big event. Maybe he marries her straight away. She already has the veil on when they meet, so maybe that's the wedding right there. Maybe they go into the tent, and that's when the marriage is made real through consummation as well. We really aren't sure exactly what order this takes place in, but we at least have the picture. By the end of it, they have become married The union is consummated through the one flesh union, and there is Isaac both delighted in her and comforted by her presence. And that's a really touching picture if we let ourselves imagine it. It says in the text that he took her and she became his wife and that he loved her. And that word for love reads about like you might imagine it. Uh, It's a word in Hebrew used for all sorts of relationships, parents and children, many other relationships. Any relationship in which you look to someone with a really dear affection and your heart is just really warm for a particular person and you thank God for that particular relationship you have with that person. His heart's filled with warmth toward her, with delight for her. He loves her. And then after that, we get a detail that really wasn't necessary in the story. It doesn't do anything for the plot. This author doesn't have to tell us what he tells us next. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. There must be a reason he put that in there. Why would he put that in there? So we would see it. And so we would see the beauty of what happens here. We see in that picture if we're willing to just imagine that moment, all is said and done, 
The marriage has happened. They have come together. It's over with. And there Isaac lays in the arms of his wife, happy and delighted in her after God has brought her to him. And comforted by her embrace. We see in that three biblical truths that are taught elsewhere. Now often what the Bible does when we get really vivid pictures in the Old Testament or when a story happens in the Old Testament is something that is taught elsewhere in the scripture comes to life here. So we get to see what it looks like, something that the Bible says elsewhere in a story like this, and that's what's happening here as well. So I want to give you this morning three truths taught elsewhere in the Bible that we get to see beautifully and concretely here and perhaps see come to life a little more here. The first one, a wife is a gift from God. That's the first truth we see here this morning. Seen in a few ways. Now I should tell you, the inverse is also true, right? A husband is also a gift to a wife, but that's not what's emphasized in this picture. So we're going to lean into what it's emphasized here. A wife is a gift to a husband also. We see it in a few ways. Uh, first, it is God who has worked miraculously through this whole story to bring Rebekah to Isaac. You may remember two weeks ago, we looked at Abraham telling his servant, God will go before you. He will send his messenger before you, and you'll find a wife for my son Isaac. Already from the beginning, we know it's God who's going to go before them. It is God who is going to help this whole thing happen. And all along the way, these kind of supernatural, uncanny things happen that make the journey work out. So much that the servant, the one who is going and looking for a wife for Isaac, he just gives praise to God multiple times. God, it's you that's done this. All glory be to God, the Lord who has brought this and made this happen step by step. He winds up telling Rebecca's family of all the things that happen, and they agree, oh, this is from God. It is God who is doing this. On the way back, the same thing is said. It is God who is doing this and so when we get to this point it's already very clear who's the one that brought these two together it's God who brought these two together that's an echo of what we saw 22 chapters ago in Genesis 2 now here we have God working miraculously to help a servant to bring a wife to a husband and give her to him but in chapter 2 we saw God make Eve he formed her and then it was God who brought Eve to Adam, right? And there we see kind of the first marriage and the type for what every marriage after that looks like. It says after that story, therefore a man leaves the father and mother and is united to his wife and the two become one flesh. So the, the ground is already laid in chapter two. It's God who gives the gift of a wife to a husband. It's God who makes the wife so wonderful and so delightful. It is God who does these things. And so when we see the same thing happen again in chapter 22, our minds know where to go back. It's God who did this. It is God who gave her to him. We see it not only there, but then on the flip side, we see what a good gift she is when Isaac receives her and finds great delight in her. It says very explicitly, Isaac took her, she became his wife, and he loved her, and he was comforted after his mother's death. So a wife is not a burden given to a husband or a task given to a husband or anything else given to a husband. A wife is a gift given to a husband. A wife is a good thing for a husband. So the first truth this morning is a wife is a gift from God. That displays for us what Proverbs 18.22 says very plainly. He who finds a wife finds a good thing 
even favor from the Lord. Or Proverbs 19.14 saying, maybe even more profoundly, houses and lands are inherited from a father, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. A good and faithful wife is a gift to a husband, a gift from God. This is even why Jesus, when asked about divorce in the New Testament, uh, says, goes all the way back to the beginning. It says, it's God who made them male and female. And what God has joined together, let man not separate. Right? It all goes back to, it's God who did it. It's God who joins you. When a man and a wife are married, it is God who supernaturally joins them as one. So who is it that gives this profound gift to Isaac? It's God who gives this gift to Isaac. That is why Proverbs 5 gives such explicit commands even to a husband to delight in his wife. Instruction that even makes us squirm a little bit when we talk about it in church. It even says explicitly, you ready for this? Explicitly, let her breasts satisfy you at all times. Be intoxicated always in her love. And the first line, at all times, and the second time, always, this picture of just constantly for years and years, decades upon decades, delighting in this wonderful creation that God has given to you. That's God's instruction to a husband, receive the gift, enjoy the gift, delight in her. No man deserves the happiness that he finds in his wife. And to simply remember that a wife is a gift from God ought to fill every husband in this room with profound gratitude to God. Husbands, I wonder if you're just to make a list of the top 10 greatest moments in your life. I mean, the happiest you've ever been, the peak moments. How many of them were because of her? How many of them was she right there for? for that great laughter-filled conversation after conversation that you had, uh, for all those long talks into the night around a dining room table or even on your pillows as you're going to sleep at night, for the children you've held in your arms together and maybe even sent off into the world together, the times that you have been filled with happiness and delight in her arms. Husbands, you don't have all those good memories and all those good things because you're awesome and you deserve them. You have them because God gives good gifts. And so the first thing we must do then, husbands, we have to thank God for our wives. It is God who gives them. And in fact, seeing your wife as a gift from God is really the first step toward loving her well. Uh, Psalms 127 and 128 make really plain the, the beginning of good fatherhood and good husbandry and good family leadership is, is the fear of God. Blessed is the man who fears God. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine. A, a man who looks to God and says, it's God who gave her to me. It is God who joined us together. And he did none of this because I deserve it. Well, that is a man who is prepared to love his wife. That's a man who's ready to follow the rest of Proverbs 5 counsel, not just to delight in your wife, but not to look at and delight in any other women. 
How does a man, how does a married man keep his way pure when he walks into Walmart or Target or Bass Pro Shop or just about anywhere and any shop that's big enough to have a hundred people in it will be filled, half of the people with women, many of them beautiful and tempting to him. How does he keep his way pure in that when his heart says, it is God who gave this one woman to me, and she is mine, and I will delight only in her. And when his heart whispers to him, well, yeah, but this other one makes me laugh and makes me feel special, what does the truth say? It's God who gave this one to me. And when his heart says, yeah, but this other one is shaped like this, it's his heart that says, I'm sorry, it's the truth that says it is God who gave this one to me. Husbands, the beginning of loving your wives well is seeing them as a gift from God and thanking God for them. If you could do that, you're on the road to loving her and treating her well. If a wife is a gift from God, that also means that the husband who lets his heart become filled with lust and lets his heart be distracted by other women, uh, who lets his heart become tainted by fantasy and pornography and self-sex and all these ways that we mess it up, and then finds himself less interested in his wife and no longer enjoying his wife anymore, he doesn't just hurt her. He offends God, who says, I gave her to you. And so not only does he need to go to his wife and repent to her, but he has to look to God and say, God, I repent to you who gave this woman to me, and I will put my delight only in her from here forward. Husbands, the, the God who is generous enough to give her to you in the first place is generous enough to take you back if you will turn from sin and follow him in purity, delighting only in your wife. That's some of what this means for married men. Married women, this means something for you too. If a wife is a gift from God, well, very obviously, that means that you are a gift from God. And that means that if your husband is constantly drawn to you and you're wondering, goodness, will he ever stop? My goodness, he, it just it never ends, right? That's because you are a good gift. That's not because he is crazy, right? It's because you're a good gift. Now, oftentimes, husbands can be inconsiderate with their timing. Uh, oftentimes, things don't work out very conveniently when it comes to the delight a husband and wife have in each other. Sometimes husbands aren't too considerate with how they word things or how they act. And years and years and years of that can lead a woman sometimes to begin to resent the attraction her husband has for her. But wives, don't cut yourself off from such a great source of affirmation. What is, what is one way you can know for many wives that God has made you wonderful and has given you as a good gift to your husband? Just the way that he continues to look at you for many wives. Why is that way? It's because you're a good gift. Single men, and I suppose single women too, uh, if we can see a wife as a gift from God, that means something for you too. It can help you to live in purity through your singleness. If we can say a wife is a gift from God, well, a gift is undeserved, right? And if all the husbands in the room had to say a moment ago, yeah, I don't deserve to have my wife, that means that when we're single, we are not missing out on something we deserve. 
right? God, ha- God hasn't shortchanged you if you're single. It's not a gift that he owes to anybody. And a man who can say that is ready to live and walk in purity. Uh, oftentimes the opposite happens. The world teaches us that sex is a need and it is the ultimate expression of humanity. And so if you don't have it, you're not a full and complete human and complete person and then our hearts oftentimes are crying out for that companionship oftentimes our bodies are even crying out for that one flesh union so it's easy to just buy into the lie that that I need this and God owes it to me and once we begin to do that well then if God doesn't take care of me and give me what I need and what I deserve we start to feel a little more justified dabbling in these sins dating somebody we shouldn't date looking at things we shouldn't look at on a screen imagining things we shouldn't imagine but it feels justified because well God isn't taking care of me and so I just I'll just start to take things into my own hands but if instead a single man can say well God doesn't owe me a wife a wife is a gift that he can give or not give well that allows a man to say I may be missing out on something I want I may even be missing out on something my heart and body are crying out for but I'm not missing out on anything I need and I'm not missing out on anything I deserve there's a man who's ready to live and walk in purity singleness there's a man who's ready to live in a way that glorifies Jesus Christ in singleness so there's the first truth that Isaac and Rebecca display for us as Isaac receives her delights in her and it's God who has brought her to him we see that a wife is a gift from God second truth uh, is kind of a more particular and pointed version of the truth of the first one And that is that one blessing a wife gives to a husband is comfort during life's hardships. Like the first truth, this one is true in the inverse also. A husband often brings comfort to a wife in the hardships. Uh, In fact, we even see later in the Old Testament, a woman named Bathsheba will be mourning the death of her son and her husband David will go into her to comfort her and she will conceive so we even know just how he comforted her the inverse of this is true also but the picture we get here is this direction it is Isaac who so profoundly is comforted after his mother's death upon receiving Rebecca as a wife when he loses his job and feels crushed and comes home to a warm smile and open arms. Or when his enemies have slandered his name and everyone has believed it and he comes home to honor and kindness. Or when his friend has died and he's sad and he comes home to warmth in his house. There's more than pleasure there, isn't there? There's there's comfort in hardship. And I wonder if many of us would expect this story to end differently. He received her, he took her, she became his wife, he loved her, and so he had a fantastic time, the end. I think that's how a lot of us want to look at it. But no, that's not what happens. His soul is comforted after his mother's death in the arms of his wife. That's an unnecessary detail. That's the kind of thing the author puts in there just so we can learn from it. 
And it's something of what Genesis 2 means when it says a man will leave father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. There's more than pleasure there. There's comfort and hardship. I have a friend who, uh, whose posts I saw on Facebook about two and a half months ago. Uh, at that time in my life, I was just checking Facebook once a week, just basically to make sure the world hadn't blown up and nothing crazy had happened. And I really looked forward to it because this one friend would post at least once a week, and it'd be near the top of my feed, uh, 23 days left until January 15th. She was so excited, and it would be a picture of her and her fiance, and then the next day, 22 days till January 15th. I can't wait. Always they were smiling. They were just looking each other in the eye, and these pictures so happy. Oh man, it was really nice to see. You figured out the story already. They were getting married on January 15th and uh, they were very excited about it. If you knew the backstory in this young woman's life, it was such a redemptive thing for her and so beautiful. Uh, And this went on 22 days, 21 days until uh, early January came and, uh, and the young man's mother came down with COVID. She tested positive for COVID and it was less than two weeks before January 15th. And so now they're all wondering, oh, wait a minute. Is she, you know, she going to be done with quarantine and get better in time for the wedding? Or is mom going to have to miss the wedding? Or, oh, that can't be good. And so they tried to figure out what to do. And mom eventually said, guys, you got to go on with this. Like, get married. Get married on the 15th like you planned to. Go on ahead. And so they went on ahead. They all gathered in the town where they were being married, which was not the town where she lived. Uh, and then... Uh, a little more than a week, I think, beforehand, uh, she didn't get better. She got worse and she wound up in the hospital. And so now they're trying to figure out, uh, now what, do, do we still continue on? Now mom's in the hospital and she may not be out for a while. They press on and around Thursday of the week, they got married on a Saturday like a lot of people do. Uh, on Thursday of the week, uh, she starts going downhill very fast and one by one, they kind of all start realizing it. Uh, it's not a matter of whether mom gets to come to the wedding. Uh, we don't think mom's going to make it. Uh, so they scramble again, and they've got, they had received all the flowers, but they had just put them in a car because they didn't know if they were going to use them or when or where they're going to use them, and they're trying to figure all this out, and they're all crying together while they try to decide just what they're going to do. On Friday, uh, things have gotten even worse, and so finally at 12 noon on Friday, they say, okay, everybody, at 4 o'clock, we're going to get married. If you can come, come. If you can't come, we'll see you sometime, and so everybody scrambles, and they get the flowers together. Uh, They say their vows there, I think maybe on a porch in front of some friends, so that they have time to drive up and try to see mom before she passes. Uh, Now, they knew they wouldn't be able to get in the room to see her, but at at least they would be nearby. So they say the vows. Uh, They actually have to split up because they have separate cars, and so they drive there separately. And They were planning on spending the night apart, of course, but now they're married, and they got married on the 14th instead of the 15th. They drive up, they meet up, they spend their first night together there in the town where their mom lives in a hotel room. And for this young man, his mom was oftentimes the only one there. His dad wasn't in his life very much. And uh, if you've ever been in a situation like that, you know your mom could kind of become your, your rock. You know, she's the one that was always there through thick and through thin. And so this young man spent his first night with his wife, uh, woke up on January 15th next to his wife, and got the call. Mom was gone. Uh, 
he wept for an hour so deeply that he didn't even have the control to nod his head and confirm to his wife who's asking, was that the call? And he, he finally, after a half hour, he can nod his head just enough to say, yeah, mom is gone. All this happened while I was preparing this message for you guys, and so I, so I reached out to them and said, guys, can I, can I tell this story? Do you guys mind if I tell this story to my congregation? Uh, and they, they wanted me to because they want God to be given great glory even in their hardship. Uh, and they want you guys to know a few things. So here's a man who received a wife at the same time that his mother died. Uh, they want you to know that the concept right here in these, this verse, that Isaac could receive Rebecca and find comfort, even in the bodily union, much less in the relationship and companionship with a wife, that it is real, that it does track, that the Lord does bless his people that way. Interestingly, the wife's testimony is that that night, when she had no clue what to do, and she thought, how, how on earth, well, what, what do I do, right? The Lord actually brought this verse to her mind, and it was a comfort to her because she knew God, God sees even me in my hardship. And he says to her constantly, I had no idea what a gift you would be. Now that's a profound example of how a wife can be a gift to a grieving husband. Some of you know it in less extreme ways than that. Some of you have lost your job and you've gone home to a wife and your wife is there for you and you said, thank God for a wife. I think we can agree though, I hope we can agree that there is so much more than pleasure found in that union. That is why in Song of Solomon, the, the lover in Song of Solomon can go almost in a breath from praising even particular body parts of his wife to saying, my sister, my friend, right? because there's more than pleasure there. That is why a few chapters later, we're going to see Isaac and Rebecca pretend that they are not married for a little bit, uh, but someone is going to figure it out just by seeing them laugh together because there is a deep companionship there that one cannot quite put words to. That confronts very directly those of us who have made sex entirely about pleasure. It's about so much more than pleasure. And it speaks to someone who is tempted toward pornography, toward fantasy, toward self-sex, toward all the, all the cheap options that are out there. I hope you can see that those things can give you the momentary thrill, but they cannot give you the comfort and hardship that a true companion can give you. No, when you use those things, it's over with, and you lock the phone and put it down, and you're all alone and feel more alone and miserable than you did when you started. God's design is so much better. When he brings a husband and wife together, yeah, there's happiness there, there's pleasure there, there's delight there, and then when it's over with, they're both still there, a companion for each other through thick and through thin, and so Isaac can not just enjoy himself, but be comforted after the death of his mother. That means something for wives who sometimes are tempted to think their husband just wants them for pleasure. The truth is, no matter how he acts, he needs your friendship as well. He needs your companionship in life's sorrows. 
It means something for husbands. Husbands, don't cheapen your friendship with your wife. Don't use her for enjoyment and then ignore her. No, God has so much more for you. Never mind what you owe her and the duty as a husband. He has so much more for you in the companionship with your wife. Can you say, husband, along with the lover in Song of Solomon, my sister, my friend? Do you know your wife that deeply and that intimately? It also means something for single Christians as well. I wonder if some of you who are single now or are widowed or are divorced see this picture of Isaac and Rebecca and a comforted man in hardship and are thinking, oh, when's this going to be over with? That would be nice, but I'm tired of hearing about it, right? If we can look at the gift and say that the gift is good, single, single Christians, that gives you permission to say, yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, in my hardships, it would be easier if the Lord had given me a companion. Many times, single Christians are, are almost afraid to say that. It's as, as if, if we admitted that it's hard, we would somehow be robbing Jesus of glory or saying that Jesus wasn't enough because there's this pressure on single Christians sometimes to just say, oh, I've got, I, I got, I got everything. I'm, I'm great. I, I have Jesus, and Jesus is all I needed, so this is easy, Right? And that's not actually how it works. No, no, the way Jesus gets glory when something is difficult is when you admit that it's difficult and then still can say that Jesus is enough. And so I, I, I wonder if just saying that could unburden your conscience and tell you that you, you don't have to act like it's a fun lifestyle if it's not. Now, if you're enjoying it and you don't want to get married, great, that's just fine. But you don't have to pretend if it's hard. It's okay to say, this is hard, that would be nice, yet Jesus is still enough. So that's the second truth that Isaac and Rebecca picture for us this morning. One comfort, one blessing that a wife gives a husband is comfort during life's hardships. The third one is the one I'm most excited to tell you about. The third picture we see here is that Jesus Christ delights in his church and loves his church. We actually have a picture of that as we imagine Isaac laying in Rebecca's arms when all is said and done, happy, delighted, saying to himself and maybe to God, she is wonderful. Some of us know, some of us have seen that happiness that a groom has in his bride on their wedding day and the reception goes well and they leave together and we all stay and party because we don't want to think about their, what they're doing when they're leaving together, right? Uh, when that is all over with, though, if that goes well, what is that husband's heart filled with? Delight in her. And if he fears God, all toward the Lord that says, God, you have made her wonderful. Would you believe that that is a picture even of the delight and happiness that our Lord finds in us, his bride? The Bible teaches that all of the good things in marriage when they go well are meant to be a picture of Christ and the church. When a husband loves his wife, 
so much that his wife looks to him and says, I'll follow him anywhere. He's so good to me. He loves me so much. That's a picture of Jesus in the church, Jesus loving us, taking such good care of us that we're willing to look to him and say, we'll follow him anywhere. He takes such good care of us. People wonder why we would do that, but they have a picture of it in a good marriage where a wife is willing to follow a husband because he's so good to her and loves her so well. Their exclusivity in their union and the fact that he has a heart for no one else and she is for no one else, they're just for each other, shows us how Jesus is fully devoted to his church and his church worships no one but him. And one of those really profound pictures comes to us in Isaiah chapter 62, which takes this picture of Isaac and Rebekah and shows us something of what it means. It says that in the coming day, this is, I believe, the day when Jesus returns, right? We're, we're kind of engaged to him right now, but when the wedding comes and he returns and he's with us again, he says, we will receive a new name, and that name is, she is my delight. And then it says something so profound. It says, your God will rejoice over you like a bridegroom rejoices over the bride. That is an explicit picture. That's, that's not just the smile he has on his face when she walks in the room. That's the husband who is amazed afterward and says, she is incredible. Church, can you believe that our Lord would look to us, having made us spotless, pure, beautiful, wonderful, he would look down to us with all of our problems and say with the same smile and the same happiness, she is wonderful. I love her. That means a few very important things for our marriages too. It means, husband, your delight in your wife is a picture of Jesus' love for the church. And that means that you should handle yourself with a certain dignity when you delight in your wife. There is a value in our culture in losing control, in raw animal passion, they might say. Husband, you aren't an animal. You are a picture of the love and delight of Jesus Christ. So conduct yourself with dignity, even as you approach and delight in your wife. It also means something for all of us. It means that these good gifts we have, those of us that are married, they're good, but they aren't it. And those of us that are single, the good gifts that we can say, we're missing out on that, and that's good. Well, it's not it. There's something better that is freely available to all, and that is the unrelenting love and delight of Jesus Christ. And so if you would like then to know a love that is deeper than Isaac and Rebecca's, a delight that is deeper than than the one the lover and the beloved of Song of Solomon share. Uh, happiness that is greater than that that's instructed in Proverbs 5 and the delight a husband should take in a wife. If you would like to know a God, a Lord, who has that kind of love for his people, look to the cross of Jesus Christ by which anyone can be reconciled to this all-loving God and come to him who says so beautifully, she is my delight.